1: Well, we're going to be answering your mailbag questions today on the Retirement Pathfinder podcast, and we got some great ones, so we appreciate you sending them in, and you can always continue to do so at PathfinderWealth.com or giving the office a call, 815-399-9806. We're talking again with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky, Retirement Income Planning Specialist at Pathfinder Wealth Management. And Phil, we haven't got an update in a while, but uh, during this quarantine, have you had a chance to spend some time on the farm? What's What's the latest?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's really going to be a good year for farmers. We believe, um, you know, with a lot of the uh, negotiations that are going on with China, I think farmers are going to have a big opportunity to sell their produce overseas again. Uh, they need it, you know. The Chinese mm-hmm. need our our produce, and so they're going to open their gates and so. But anyway, I was out in the field the other day doing some weed work, uh, you know, with my uh, herbicide, and uh, we were using something called glyphosate and uh, do you know what glyphosate is men uh no not exactly i yeah. don't either okay glyphosate uh, you probably see it on on the news where the attorneys are saying if you've been exposed to glyphosate come and call us right away because it's a cancer causing material it's otherwise known as roundup ah okay, okay so you put that roundup. i do know yeah so i'm out there on my <laughs> tractor you know and i'm i'm putting the roundup down and all of a sudden i get a valve that breaks and, and i get sprayed with roundup all over oh. you know it just just like a gusher coming up. And, uh, and the only way I could stop it was to put my, my thumb in the tank (laughs) to keep the leak from going out, you know? So they say, well, what you're supposed to do right away is run to a shower and get, get that stuff off of you. And I've not been exposed to that much of it during my lifetime, but it's certainly something to be concerned about. But it, uh, you know, then I got another tractor with another tank and, and by golly, you know what lightning strikes twice. It happened again. So (laughs) (laughs) it was not a good day on the farm out there, but, uh, we managed to get it all down. And so hopefully the, the weeds will be controlled where our corn and beans will come up. And, uh, and we're open
1: for a good season this year. Did you get cleaned up and, and everything? I did. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: I we, I, I took, I took a break at that point. Once we figured out how to plug the leak and, uh, I turned off the uh, the PTO, the power takeoff, you know, so that stopped the, the flow from coming out, but we still had to stop the leak in the tank. But uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> wow. I ran to the barn right away and, you know, we got a hose there. So I just washed off from that. But most of the time, you know, you want to handle that stuff very carefully. If you're exposed to it for an extended period of time, that's where the real problems come in. And so... Um, I'm not going to run to an attorney or anything real quick, so. Okay, well, well, go
2: We're going to have to, what we're going to have to do, Ben, is get Phil a suit. We're going to have to get him a body suit, <laughs> and gloves, and yeah. a mask, and.
1: A hazmat suit is what I probably yeah. But between your luck trying to get a deer last year and then this story, 2020 hasn't been very good for you.
2: It is not. It's not. You know.
1: So so my luck is about ready to improve. Yeah, that's that's good. We'll have to check in with you. I'm glad everything. Glad you're safe. I'm glad hopefully you're healthy and uh, you got the job done eventually. So that's that's the bottom line, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Well, let's turn to the mailbag today and get some questions. So I like doing this on the show because we get a lot of good uh, questions from. The listeners, a lot of different things on your mind, and and we encourage you to send those in, and whatever it is, we'll try to do our best to answer those questions for you. So we're going to start with a question from Marshall today, and he writes, I have a variable annuity, and I just found out that the fees are very high. I'd like to move the money somewhere else, but I have to pay a penalty to take it out. Is it worth the penalty to get away from the high fees?
2: Okay. So, uh, Marshall, first of all, let me give you a definition of an annuity. It's a deposit with an insurance company for a guaranteed stream of income for life, if you want, or for a period of time. You don't have to take income. And the other way for you to access your money in the contract is you can take 10% penalty free each and every year. So the first question I would have for you is, what did you like about it when you bought it? And did you buy it for income or was it just deferral? Is it an IRA annuity? So there's three annuities, and one is a fixed annuity and a fixed indexed annuity, and the third is a variable annuity. So a fixed or a fixed index, they're not too complicated. Either you want income or you don't, and there's no cost to you if you don't. It comes in the way of a rider fee. When you see a rider, the term rider, well, that's an additional fee. Those two products are pretty simple if you do not need the income, and there's no fees. With a variable annuity, you have many fees associated with this product. When you see the term guaranteed, like guaranteed death benefit, guaranteed income, you're going to be paying a fee for that. And then you have your sub-account charges. So every mutual fund, if you will, that you are invested in within those particular products, there are fees associated with those. So they can be as high as 3 to 4% per year. You may not even need what that contract gives you, yet you're paying for it. So for example, I had a client come and see me back in March of this year. They had four annuities, the same product. And uh, we called the company direct and they're paying 2.8% per year. Now, mind you, they're all the same investments. All four contracts have the same five funds. So we won't even get into for this discussion under diversification and overlap and all of that. So my question is, why not just buy an index fund or a mutual fund and save the high fees? Because with a variable annuity, you're getting all the ups of the market, but you're getting all the downs. And this particular couple that I'm talking about did not need the income. So, but they're still paying those high fees, all for our IRA accounts. So they take their required minimum distributions. And since they don't need them, they basically were oversold. They didn't need all the bells and whistles yet that, uh, for, of this product, yet they're paying for them. So Marshall, how long have you had this product? Because when it looks like you're going to be paying a surrender charge, calculate what that is, and then look at what you'd be paying in fees each year until you can get out of that contract. Oftentimes, the fees to stay are much greater than the surrender charge to exit. But the full answer to that question lies with what you're trying to accomplish with this money and then go from there. Quite possibly, this product isn't satisfying your goals, and you can always give us a call. We'd be happy to go over that with you. Hope that helps.
0: Yeah, Barb. You know, One of the least favorite things for me to do in my lifetime is, is to go to, a, to buy a car, to a car dealer. Uh, why? Because you know that, you know, there is, there is going to be, they're going to get you some way, one way or another, you know? And so often when a, when a client comes in with a variable annuity, I'll ask them, well, how much are they paying per year in fees? And they say, well, here's this $25 fee that they pay per year.
2: The administrative fee. Yeah.
0: The administrative fee. Well, (laughs) what I do is I'll, I'll ask them, well, how would you like to find out just exactly how many fees there are? There's a lot of fees in there and we'll find out directly from your company. And they go, well, how do you do that? I said, well, we can call them to, together right here. If you give me permission, I can talk to the, uh, the representative at your company. We have a, a list of, of questions that we can ask them about the fees. Most of the time, I'll say, sure, that makes a lot of sense. We'd like to find out. We want to know where the gotchas are, right? So we call the company, and there's a number of, of questions we'll ask. And by golly, you know, those, those fees could end up being as, I've seen them as high as 6% per year. So you wonder, where in the world is all the market return going to? It's going to the insurance company. Not always. They're not always that high. But you have to be able to quantify these particular fees. And there's a way to do it. Most people don't know how, but you can if we sit down and talk together.
2: Right. If the, if the clients here, we, we will just call the company direct. And then the case of these, uh, this couple here, they, they, all they needed was something in deferral. They were taking required minimum distributions only because they were required. And they, didn't need that. they didn't need to take them. And they've been in these products since 2012. So for eight years, that's has a lot of fees.
1: Well, thanks for that question, Marshall. Hopefully it gives you a little bit of guidance. Uh, Our next question comes in from Samantha. She writes, unless something goes horribly wrong, we should be leaving a significant amount of money to our kids. But I can't decide if we should tell them about our plans now or just let it be a surprise. I'm certain they have no idea what our net worth is like.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, Of course, uh, Samantha, uh, this answer can vary from family to family. And uh, there's no right or wrong answer or right or wrong position on this. However, this is a very difficult question to answer unless we delve into family dynamics. And that's really kind of a a sensitive topic for a lot of people. So we have to approach it very, very carefully when we talk to our clients. And so part of our educational approach is discussing estate planning with our, our clients and the advantages of it and to their heirs. So we get to ask a lot of questions because we want to give the assurances of two things. Number one, that their estate can be passed along efficiently to their heirs without a lot of costs, without a lot of problem and probate. And number two, that their legacy will be there for their children and grandchildren free from loss of attack or loss or attack that they could realize uh, by what I call the predators. So here are some of the questions that I would probably want to ask before I could advise somebody about informing their children about uh, the, their estate, their nest egg, what they're going to get in the inheritance. Number one, uh, are any of your heirs receiving government subsidies, such as SSI or SSDI, uh, which can jeopardize getting their inheritance? A lot of people don't realize that if their kids are on some type of government assistance, they could lose that through an inheritance. Number two, uh, are your children's marriages stable? And this is really an interesting one because you know we always tell our clients, it's not your kids you have to worry about it's the outlaws. It's not the in-laws, it's the outlaws, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, it would be, you would be amazed how many people will tell us exactly what's going on in their kids' families and their kids' lives. You know, they're bearing their soul to us. Uh, I almost feel like I'm a, su- uh, you know, kind of a, a, surrogate counselor there for them. Uh, number three, have there been any bankruptcies or liens placed against your children? That can uh, jeopardize the inheritance as well. Number five, in this case, have we, uh, how have, how, have these kids done financially on their very own? You know, have they been successful in saving money? Uh, have they been successful in putting money aside? Have they been good with their money? Uh, you know, are they extravagant? Sometimes we'll find that to be a case. Number six, how would you feel if your children lost their inheritance through a divorce or death of a spouse, uh, or what we call unintentional inheritance? So, you know, it's possible to lose an inheritance through a divorce proceeding. That's a possibility. Yeah. Or if you lose a child, let's say a child predeceases their spouse and, and then the surviving spouse gets remarried to somebody else, you know, you could actually see your inheritance that was given to your child go off outside of your bloodline. How would you feel if that happened? So uh, you know, would the idea of, of a substantial inheritance serve to be a deterrent for their, the children becoming productive and financially successful on their own? That's another question. You know, If they know they're going to get a big payday at the end of the the time, uh, you know, will they become successful and productive on their very own? So we know from experience that it can be um, said that, you know, if, and this is not in every case, you know, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is going to be a case in in most families, but, you know, if the kid didn't really make the money and they didn't manage the money, quite often what you can do is is develop what we call a lottery mentality. Party time. Yeah. Yeah. The inheritance can be, uh, it's kind of like what we say, you know, what is the estate plan for a 25 year old? Fast read, and it's got to be convertible kind of a thing, you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so the same thing could happen there, so once we get a better idea of the family dynamics, we can more fully and advise Samantha or anybody else. maybe it'd be okay, bottom line is, maybe it'd be okay to tell the kids outright what they'll be getting, you know after all is said and done, we discuss this, that'd be okay, uh but maybe it's best to tell them that you know the parents are just merely redoing or updating their estate plan. that might be enough. You know, kids don't want to appear to be self-serving. So a lot of times they won't ask questions when they probably should. Mm-hmm. Or maybe uh, it would be best to have the inheritance held in a family trust as a tool, as a resource to protect them from the predators out there. And that's, that way you're, you're actually helping them. Of course, all these issues should be discussed with a competent estate planning attorney who can give them the final recommendation.
2: Yeah. And I, I think that's a, those are all good reasons, Phil. And, and I agree with you that it's an individual choice. Because some people like to give to their kids while they're alive each year, mm-hmm. and some don't give anything to their kids, and then the kids will receive their inheritance upon the death of the second spouse. It also depends on the age of the kids. And there are some people whose kids are better off. They'll say, Barb, my kids are much better off and doing far greater and better than I yes. am. You know, they're, they're not going to need this money anyways. But I think it's still a good, I think it's a good idea to say something to your kids. Because the question is, will they receive a lump sum? Will they receive it in increments? Will it be held in trust for their lifetime? And those are all very different outcomes. Mm. And then I would ask Samantha, what is a significant amount? Which, of course, if we sit down, we would know that, but just not knowing. Yeah, it's all relative. Yes. I mean, significant Mm. to her could be something different to her, to me, to Phil, and could be a couple hundred thousand, could be a couple million. But if you set up a trust, typically your kids are successor trustees, and that means you trust them enough to at least have a conversation about this.
0: Yes, that's exactly right.
1: Yeah. Thanks for asking that question, Samantha. That's a great question. And uh, you can always get more information and sit down with Barbara and Phil and figure out if it works for you. Uh, Our next question is Tom. He writes in. This is what he asks. He says, uh, we have a lot of big travel plans once we retire, including destinations on all seven continents. Wow. Do we need to plan on having even more income in retirement than we have right now?
2: Well, congratulations, Tom, Mm. on on what appears to be planning for an adventurous retirement. Well, the stock answer, at least in the financial world, says that uh, living on 70% of pre-retirement income in retirement, that may not work for you. What I often ask people is if they're doing everything during their working years that they would like to do in retirement. Oh, of course not, because you're working. So I look at, when I'm creating plans, I look at 80% of pre-retirement income to start. And in Tom's case, they may need no more income for the lifestyle that they're looking at. So the question is, how close are you to retiring? Now is a good time to meet with a qualified retirement specialist to determine your retirement income needs. There are so many considerations in order to give you a solid answer, including taxation, inflation your retirement account values, and first and most important for starters are your expenses, including your travel plans when you retire. Then we look at the numbers to determine if what you'd like to do as far as travel plans is possible. And Then we we design retirement income plans for couples to live to age 100. So depending on when you retire, how long is this money going to last you? To age 100 may seem like it's pretty out there, but life expectancies are continuing to increase. And if you're married, there's a good chance one of you could live to age 100. This is a good question to ask, and it sounds like you're asking it before you retire, so you're starting to plan. But give us a call at 815-399-9806 or send us an email at pathfinderwealth.com. We'd be glad to sit with you for a complimentary consultation.
0: Yeah, Barb and I always talk about the two phases of life from a financial standpoint. One is the accumulation phase where you're putting money aside each and every month, hopefully, or each and every payday uh, in, your, in your 401k, 403b, your IRA account, whatever it is. And, um, you know, if you're putting away, let's say 3% just to match your employer's contribution, you know, that may or may not be enough. You know, you feel like you're doing something, but the question is, is that adequate? Well, we don't really know until we sit down and we talk about the payout phase, which is the second part of this. So once you hit retirement or you're going to need that income for living expenses, you're not getting another paycheck. I mean, that's it. Now we have to depend on social security and a combination of your investments. You had better done the planning upfront correctly. And if it doesn't, if it's going to take more than three percent, maybe it's going to take five or eight, whatever you we plan for your particular payout phase. You've got to be putting an adequate amount of money away in the accumulation phase because the payout phase cannot be a redo. There's no do overs in the payout phase,
2: Barb. Well, I also think that it's a it's an assumption that what you save for retirement is going to be enough without knowing what the numbers are, without crunching yes. those numbers. And I think the mentality is they'll access money on an as-needed basis. But I have seen people living on $500,000 in retirement, and I've seen people that it's going to be very hard to live on a couple million dollars. Because when we sit down and I say, what are your needs in retirement when there is no longer a paycheck, like you said? what are your expenses? And it's not even close to, going to, to being a sustainable plan.
0: You know, it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of embarrassing to them and shocking to them at the same time. And, and I feel badly for these people when you say, okay, let's take a look at how much money you need versus what you have. And they find out that they're, they, they have, uh, you know, under, under-contributed, you know, they're underfunded for their retirement. That is a, it's a terrible wake up call day for that particular client.
2: Yeah, and when to take Social Security, there's so many considerations yes. that you can't just you can't wing this and try and do it on your own. That's my recommendation.
1: Well, thanks for that. Uh, those answers, Barbara and Phil, and thank you for the question, Tom. We got time for one more, so let's get it from Leo. And he asks, is it wise to have a trust as part of my financial and estate plan? It seems that a lot of people I know have one. Yeah,
0: you know, Leo. Let me start out by saying uh, we are not attorneys at Pathfinder, and we cannot give legal advice. Of course, what we can do, uh, Leo, is we can educate our clients in regard to estate planning approaches. And that's incidental to our investment management. So that's okay to do uh, if we don't give specific advice about your need here. So uh, we can give you some background on the various legal documents and their purposes, such as wills, trusts, powers of attorney for property, and health care. And so, why is this important? Well, let's talk about history here. Back in our grandparents' day, Ben, you may not know this, but, you know, back in those days, uh, people had very little, (laughs) you know, they (laughs) didn't have uh, cell phones, you know, and all that kind of good stuff.
1: Very simple life. Uh,
0: Yeah, it was really basic. You know, you had a tin, two tin cans and a string between it. That's how you talk to your neighbors, you know, on the telephone. Uh, So anyhow, uh, so very little attention was given to estate planning matters in those days. Very few people even had a will, you know, because uh, maybe, maybe not. In those days, families had very little, very few assets. But today, our families are wealthy by comparison. Now, let me give you a couple of statistics. This is really interesting, and I found out this the other day, and Barb and I kind of questioned this, but according to a study done by CNBC Financial, the average baby boomer has an estimated net worth when everything is added up. What do you think it is, Ben? Make a guess.
1: I'm going to say around 500,000.
0: How about 1.2 million? Oh, okay, that's that, that sounds that sounds kind of hard to believe. <laughs> that yeah. sounds high. It does. It sounds high, but especially when
2: you consider 401k plans, then their average uh, value right now is what some around 40 to 100 thousand.
0: Absolutely. Now, I don't know where they come up with the figure, but that's what they say. Now, now here's something hmm. that's even more incredible, and and I've I've heard this figure before too, and I, I kind of questioned, but at the end of 2019, CNBC says that the uh that the baby boomers altogether hold an incredible amount of money, $100 trillion. Wow. $100 trillion. Wow. Okay. Now, now, maybe it's half of that. Maybe it's a third. I don't know what it is. But, but here's, here's the point. There, there is Because of this huge wealth, there's a necessity to do proper estate planning. It's critical. It's crucial today to do it. So the question Leo has is about trusts. Well, most of our clients have what they call a revocable living trust drafted by their attorney because they believe it gives them and their family more privacy and control. Okay, more privacy and control. And in the event of their disability, and of course, of their death, then the family takes over. And if it's done properly, it can avoid the probate process. So, our advice is to engage with an estate planning attorney to discuss the pros and cons of doing this type of estate planning. And you can give us a call at our office.
2: Well, when you talk about uh, business being done during your grandparents' ages, and, and if you, you know, the 10 cans and string example. <clears throat> I remember uh, businesses back when I first started working, their business was conducted with a handshake. Oh, yeah. And I remember the uh, company that I worked for, the, uh, for, for business loans, the tool and die company, it was not, you did not have to sign personally for those at the time. It was a trust. It was, it was based on trust.
0: That's yeah, incredible.
2: But, yeah. Um, yeah. but getting back to what you're saying, as far as having a trust, I, you know, I say too, it depends, but for most people, a trust is the way to go. If for no other reason, it's going to keep your kids out of the probate process, provided that the trust is funded with your assets. Now for most people, the federal estate exemption isn't an issue. So people generally set up a trust to avoid probate for their kids, keep it private, and then to, uh, for you to e- each use your federal estate exemption. Well, for most people, the federal estate exemption isn't an issue because married couples can pass on $22 million, single people $11 million before there's any federal estate taxes. But it does make sense for privacy and also for the probate issue. And if you want your money protected from creditors, from in-laws, from lawsuits, then it, I think it's a good idea.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's one more little example here. It's kind of interesting. I just thought about this. Uh, my grandmother was born in Germany in 1881, okay? And she died in 1965. And just to give you an idea of, of, of an improperly done estate plan, what the big issue was, was a big fight that occurred over who would get the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Who would get the va- so if they had, if my grandmother had a properly done estate plan, I, of course, that would have gone to my side of the family, not the other side. <laughs> of the family.
2: If only things could be so simple again. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. right.
1: Still talking about that one years later, huh? Yeah, must, <laughs> must, must have been a pretty nice vacuum.
2: <laughs> it's <laughs> <Yeah>. a Kirby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there's a lot to consider there, uh, Leo. But again, uh, you want to look to somebody that specializes in that to help you out. But uh, hopefully, that answer kind of gives you some, some guidance on where you. You should be looking at some things you should be thinking about, but we appreciate all the questions that come in uh, on the show always. And we encourage you to send them in. We love to hear from you and, and love to try to help you out as much as we can on this show. You can send them in to pathfinderwealth.com. You can also call uh, Pathfinder Wealth Management at eight one five three nine 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 eight zero six, And we'll do the best to give you some guidance and they can do it a lot better in person, knowing your situation and seeing, what you have in your portfolio and laying out a plan and a process for you in retirement. So Barbara and Phil, let's close it out on that note um, and wrap it up this episode. appreciate your time and everybody that, that wrote in. And, and Phil, you got to take care on the farm next time you're out there. I don't want to hear any more, any more stories like that going forward. No, no. Hopefully that's the end of it.
2: All right. Thank you, listeners.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and make sure you subscribe too. We appreciate all the new subscribers we've gotten in recent weeks. And uh, if you do that, you'll have the next episode downloaded right to your phone when it comes out. So we'll talk to you then right here on the Retirement Pathfinder.